What's happening, everyone? Sam Brief here with a fresh edition of the Mental Game Podcast, episode two of season two, post-Australia. And I had to bring back one of the regulars, one of the fan favorites. His name is Dr. Harold Shinitsky, and he's one of the most distinguished sports psychologists in the world, based in beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida. He works with high school, college, professional, Olympic athletes all over the board. He's an award-winning author. Champions Mindset is his book. So in that, you learn the 15 methods by which you can become a champion. And I know that sounds really tacky, but I read it. I'm not an athlete, and it has already helped improve me in life. Dr. Shinitsky's been on this podcast twice. We've talked about everything from mentoring young kids who are getting involved in sports to the media backlash to Naomi Osaka sitting out a big, big tournament and Simone Biles sitting out in the Olympics. He's really well-spoken. He swims with sharks. This is something he told me right before we started the podcast. He once did a shark swimming frenzy expedition in the Bahamas. So the dude's locked in, right? Because you have to be to do that. Harold Shanitsky is awesome. And I'm thrilled that he joined on the Mental Game podcast. A quick note, by the way, before I get started with Dr. Shanitsky, please support me and Lasers Ladybug Society, because I'm running the Chicago Half Marathon, 13.1 miles, on June 4th. That's right here downtown. I'm going to run right down there and, and hopefully make it. I'm going for like under maybe an hour, 50 minutes. And I'm raising funds for Lasers Ladybug Society. Now, a lot of you might remember John Laser. He and his wonderful wife, Renee, started the society down in Virginia, which is their home, to raise funds for local programs for mental health. It's really grassroots. And that's what I love about the organization. You're throwing money into something and it's quickly being turned into action, opening programs at schools, at daycare facilities. That's what they're all about. So please support me. I will link it down in the bio. It's a GoFundMe to support me running the half marathon again. We're trying to raise $2,000. We're almost there, just a few hundred away. So thanks in advance for supporting for subscribing to the podcast as always. And now I will let it rip with Dr. Harold Shinitsky. And now thrilled to welcome back to the mental game for the third time, an unprecedented third time, but there's no one more deserving. It's Dr. Harold <laughs> Shinitsky, a distinguished sports psychologist. He's worked with dozens of Olympians, professional junior athletes, author of The Champion's Mindset, one of my favorite sports psychology books. Dr. Schnitzky, it is joy, joy, joy to have you on. It is my pleasure, Sam. You are one of the best interviewers. I really appreciate the conversational approach that you're not just going down a checklist of questions, but we actually engage in the process. So thank me, thank you for having me back um, to be a part of the show. Thanks, Dr. Schnitzky. Yeah, I've always believed that checklists are for the grocery store. <laughs> not for the podcast. I think I have to go make a run later today. So I'll use the checklist then. But for now, we'll just talk shop. Uh, Dr. Shanitsky, I want to pick into your brain here because you work with athletes all over the board. You've written yep. books. This world is constantly changing. You know, I started this podcast in 2020, right before this boom of athletes talking about mental health and embracing it and that kind of bleeding down into society. I've had a chance to check in with you every year as that's grown. So let's start with this. Right now, as an expert, what do you see as the state of the mental health sports discussion? How healthy is it? Mental health has become a common 
theme now, which is wonderful. When we first, when I first got into the profession, mental health was considered still taboo. People didn't want to talk about it. It kind of was a liability. You thought that the coach would not play you, thought players would not have trust in you. And nowadays, the fortunate aspect is so many elite athletes have had the strength to come forth and be able to share that they themselves have been struggling, whether it's with anxiety or depression, whatever it might be, they're coming forward. So I'm finding that not only are players at a younger age more willing to talk about these and address them, but also coaching staffs, universities, and professional teams now have people, personnel in place to be able to address that. How are your clients sounding different? Because I would think, okay, they have personnel, they have coaches who are supporting, they feel more supported by society. Are you noticing a shift in your one-on-one meetings with athletes? Yeah, there was a, there's a thing I really enjoy doing called uh, micro sessions. And so I'll just kind of sit next to a guy either on the bench or at their locker and just kind of make a comment to them about something that we had chatted about that, you know, if you want to bring that up, if you'd like to talk about it, that is actually building a bridge in a relationship. And they're more likely now than before even to come forth and be able to talk about whether it would be um, the death of a loved one where they didn't want to share that with anyone because they were, again, afraid of stigma or labeling. And so if I reach out to them and let them know this is a safer place. You can bring that up with me for within the confidential bounds of our relationship. And so more of them are much more willing to use this forum when we get together, not to just talk about mental performance, but also to talk about these other life domains, because those areas affect how they perform in sport. Oh, that That's really cool. A micro session. What, yes. Give me an example. Let's say Let's say I'm a basketball player. You sit down with me at the end of a practice. How might you start a micro session with me? Well, if it's after a practice, I always like to ask people, what do they think they did well today? I always want to start with that. Then we can get into what's commonly referred to that we've talked about, which was the post-shot routine. What can you learn from this? Even if it was a fail, how can you fail forward? After you just kind of briefly touch upon that, if there is a mental health issue, to be able to let them know that, hey, if you want to talk a little bit later on, you know, I'm available, give me a ring, let's set something up. When I let them know that I'm there for them, that I have their back, but I also remember that there is a topic that we have covered. So it could be uh, one of the tennis players I worked with. She had a very bad relationship that was going on. And so not just talking about performance, but also talking about establishing, establishing boundaries in her relationship. Uh, A soccer player I was working with whose father had passed and letting him know that, you know, there's a lot of grief and pain that goes along with the loss of a loved one. Maybe that's something you'd want to talk about. So letting them know I'm aware of who they are as a person, not just as a player, allows them to feel more supported and they're more likely to reach out to me on that topic. How quickly does it connect back then to the performance? Because (laughs) let's say I'm dealing with something traumatic I unpack that, we work on that, just like I might with my therapist. Mm -hmm. But then on top of it, I'm a world-class basketball player. I have millions of dollars on the line. I can't have this baggage, this trauma, whatever it might be, affect my three-point shot because that makes me cash. Right. If you have something heavy going on in your life, 
it kind of consumes you. And one of the things I always like to talk to the athletes early on about, and your listeners will really love this. If I say to your listeners, don't think of a big purple elephant, especially the one with pink polka dots. If you tell yourself not to focus on something, that's what you focus on. So helping someone to train themselves to be able to very to be very focused in which as an elite athlete, you're giving 100% focus. But if you have these significant external issues, they can bleed into it. So what we want to do is to address these other external life domain issues. If we address those, the athlete doesn't sit there and say, don't focus on that because now that's all I'm focusing on. It allows me just to be in the moment here. So you see results tremendously quickly because these external factors are no longer bleeding in, but rather allowing me to then choose what my focus is. So it's not don't focus, it's focus on this. And they become much more productive in this moment. Bingo. And and an anecdote for me just, just this last week, because, you know, Dr. Shinitsky, I look at my job as a broadcaster, like an athlete, I watch my tape, I, I train, <laughs> I practice, I might not be moving my body quite as much, but I treat it like I'm an athlete. I yeah. learned a lot from that. So I had a broadcast the other day of, of a G League basketball game, and I was on my way to the arena, and I was feeling really bland. Situation with my family that was kind of consuming me, it, it made me low energy, it had made me feel off. And when I got to the arena, it, it was that, it was not focus on this. Let's let's push that away. Let's just get on air. You know, <laughs> get on air. First half, I sound low energy mm -hmm. all over the place because my mind was low energy and all over the place all day. Right. Halftime, I recentered myself. Let let's, you know, everything's going to be okay. Let's just focus on the game. Right. It turned from not focus on X to let's just focus on Y. Immerse yourself yes. in the game. And the second half, one of the best broadcasts I've done as a result. So as Congrats. a broadcaster, I can relate to that. Imagine if you were going in to do a presentation as a business executive to the, um, the board of directors. And you have to be on your A game. And again, so individuals who are going in, they're not even athletes, but they are elite in their career. Here they are in one of the most challenging situations that they might perceive. And so helping them, if we have been able to address externals. So I, I had a gentleman not too long ago, I do a lot of executive coaching. And I have um, this one gentleman who happened to be the CEO and he was going to be covering a new topic for him. And he felt like he wasn't necessarily going to be on his game, but he also was having some interpersonal problems at home. And every day or every couple of days, there was something that would be bleeding into his work where we'd have to deal with it. It was extraordinarily helpful for he, I, and his family to actually address these issues. He was then able to go in for his presentation. And instead of feeling as though, oh, I may not be the best at this, I've got this distraction going on, he was able to put in the time and the energy. And then when he was presenting, he was in the moment. And so in all of life situations, as I always like to say with my athletes, if I make you a better person, I'll make you a better athlete. And it's great to watch individuals be in the moment, not focusing on externals. And we always talk about how you only have a finite amount of energy that you can use in your day. 
and you can use it wisely or you can waste your energy. And there are three ways to waste your energy. And they're known as the three W's, wishing, worrying, and whining. Wishing the past was different. I cannot change the past. So if I lament, dwell, beat myself up, I'm literally wasting energy on something I cannot change. And I'm not in the moment, which is the one thing I can address. So learning from the past, and we talk about it in athletics, it's um, learn, let go, reset, and restart. Learn, let go, reset, and restart. You got to be able to move on from that. So you learn the lesson. You now let it go because you can't change it. Now you get into your whatever your pre-shot routine is or your you know pre-meeting presentation kind of mindset. And then you get yourself into that in the environment. So wishing the past was different, worrying about the future. I can't control the future. That's my Achilles heel. And and many people do struggle with it. If I wish the past was different, I'm probably going to be depressed about it. If I'm worrying about the future, I'm anxious. And so worrying about the future doesn't do anything about the future, but doing something does something for the future. So I always like to tell people, well, there are no guarantees ever in life. So the goal is how, what can I do to increase my probability of success? So helping the athlete, helping an individual in society stay in the moment, because I don't want to wish the past was different. I want to learn from it. I don't want to worry about the future. What can I do now to increase my probability of success? And the third one is whining about things outside of my control. I have to be able to choose what I'm going to put my energy in rather than external focus. And a lot of the things in people's lives are externals and they need to be able to identify controlling the controllables. And no one likes whining. That's, that's tough. That's in a locker room that spreads like a disease, right? When I'm in a therapy session and I hear someone whining, I usually pretend like it's a high pitched sound. And I'm like, what, what is that? What is that sound? I, I don't speak whining. I have a little placard that says $5 charge for whining. So mm-hmm. and if you think about it, complaining without action is whining. I so know. if you're going to complain, do something about it. But if you don't, if it's complain without action, it's whining. Right, right. Can can you make me one of those? But I could use <laughs> the 25, 30 bucks, you know, that. Five, five is not doing it for me. That's half a Chipotle burrito in Chicago. You live in a higher tax bracket. Okay, yeah. I'll have to send you that. <laughs> oh, if only. Hey, so, Dr. Schnitzky, on this, I love the three W's. And yeah. on the note of addressing addressing your issues, focusing on what you can focus on, this really makes me think of Dak Prescott, Cowboys yeah. quarterback who tragically during COVID lost his brother Jace at, at 31. to the side. It's just horrible, right? Yeah. In the middle of a pandemic, Dak is in the spotlight and his brother commits suicide. Mm-hmm. Can't imagine going through that. And Dak dealt with it publicly, right? He owned up to how he was feeling. He said, I've, I've been depressed. I've really been struggling. Jace was important to me. And this is how I feel. And somehow, I mean, society sometimes amazes me, but somehow he faced criticism for that. Mm. So starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. Be a man. Mental health, what's that, right? And he faced this criticism, but he stood up to it. He did interviews. Uh, th- there was one with Sage Steele towards the end of the of the lockdown period where, where he said, listen, I go to therapy. I open up with my teammates. This is important to me. This is how I dealt with it. 
Um, how did you follow that story and how did you perceive the way Dak dealt with it and the way society responded to him? Well, I tell all my athletes that you don't have to read material um, online. That's a choice. Anyone that is your friend or following, they're not really friends. There are some people who are specifically in the metaverse who are trolls and haters, and it is their um, kind of like a part-time job to go around and trying to uh, make trouble. Um, they'll 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 see a cute little kitty video and they'll make some heinous comment just to get a reaction. And a lot of these individuals want the higher celebrity individual to engage in that because that's what gives them more retweets and clicks. So you don't want to, as we say, just because words come out of someone's mouth doesn't make it fact. People are allowed to have their opinions, but I also don't have to give power to other people's words. So for an athlete who is going through a traumatic experience, one of the things we oftentimes point out to them is that everyone handles it differently. But you may hear this phrase in, in the situation where you lose a loved one. You'll hear a phrase from a lot of people, which is, give it time. Time heals all wounds. And as a, as a therapist for 30 years, I can tell you, time doesn't do anything except pass. I've known people who have gone months, years beyond whatever the event was and still carry it because they have been kind of covering it up. And so what it sounded like he was able to do in therapy for himself was you do need to be able to release it. It's an active process. It's not a passive. If you're going through grief, if you're going through um, any type of a situation like that, you want to be able to remember the individual because they had meaning in your life. You want to tap your emotions because you can't hide from them. And this relationship had meaning for you. In addition, you need to figure out how you express it. And everyone does it differently. Through expressing it, you now release it. And then you can get to a healthier point where you change your thinking, where you can be more productive. So it's an active process, not a passive one. Right. And the active process also bleeds down to society when... Mm -hmm. You're a person like Dak Prescott when you're the starting quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys and you have fans following you. You say, hey, I go to therapy and it helps me a lot deal with grief. Well, OK, for every one troll who's all <laughs> you have thousands of young Cowboys fans and NFL fans and just people scrolling and seeing your quote. Yes. That follow that. And that's yes. the trickle down effect. It is magnificent. I always talk about athletes and social activism. And one of the things that has been occurring throughout sport, regardless of the sport and specialty, male or female, you hear a lot of these elite athletes now coming forward and talking about how they themselves have struggled with these issues. Mental health is an equal opportunity condition. Just because someone is in a position of a celebrity or an athlete or wealthy doesn't mean that you are... Um, immune to this, but rather it, it can affect everyone. And so to hear them talk about how I have these struggles, people can relate and they can then take action. Something on that note that I'm really curious about here, because this feels like something that the media, and I'm coming to you from the media world, 
the mm-hmm. media still hasn't processed how to handle this situation. Mm-hmm. But a lot of us now, luckily, if you've got a full-time job and an understanding boss, people are starting to do the mental health day. Mm-hmm. All credit to my mother. She she encouraged me to do mental health days back in high school if I was mm-hmm. and and she was kind of ahead of her time with that. Yeah. So a lot of people are lucky to have that now. But then when athletes who are in the spotlight take the mental health day, be it Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka at the Olympics, maybe it's a Ben Simmons last season with Philadelphia when he was sitting out, they get backlash because this health day has not really bled into the sports world. We don't really understand that. And the media doesn't know how to cover it. In your opinion, and it's kind of a loaded question, but how should that be covered if athlete X says, I need a mental health day because I'm really depressed today. Well, I, I still think that uh, change is possible and it is happening. I, I tend to say the awareness of it is now quite significant. It is now being expressed. So there's a tectonic change in awareness, but it's still a glacial pace of change. And so I'm glad that the information, the acknowledgement is occurring and more and more and a greater percentage of individuals are more accepting of that. But I see what you're saying. There are media individuals who enjoy slinging mud and making accusations as though um, the athlete is invincible and is somehow impervious to these things. And they are supposed to just take a a cold facade to any of those and stiff upper lip and, you know, pull up, you know, the bootstrap. That's more of a statement of that person. So everything I'm doing for me, I have to have a good sense of self. I need to address me. So everything I think, feel, say, and do is a statement of me and what my values are. That other person who may be a hater, who may be saying whatever they're going to say, that's actually a statement of the other person. That's a reflection of their values. I don't have to personalize their values. And a lot of the athletes that I work with, we help them to have a better sense of self so they're not personalizing the comments of others. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Just a a little exercise. This feels like something I would do in in journalism school back at Northwestern. Mm -hmm. Let's say I'm going to go back to the me being an NBA player. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's... Maybe that's just me dreaming, but let's say, you know, I'm a star NBA player. I'm the best player on the Chicago Bulls. And I have a press conference right before the game. And I say, I'm going to be sitting out of tonight's game because I feel super anxious. I've been having panic attacks all day. I'm dealing with a family situation. I just, I can't mentally be there. So I won't physically be there. I'll be on the bench. I'm not playing tonight. You are let's say the Bulls beat writer for ESPN.com. How do you write the headline of Sam Brief sitting out? Well, if I was the beat writer for the Chicago Bulls, I would be saying I'm proud and impressed that this individual is willing to take a stand and that he owns it and that he is being responsible. Let me point this out. Without insight, there is no behavioral change. So if you're car is getting low on gas and you pretend that it's not low on gas, you're going to run out of gas and have a paperweight in the middle of the road. A lot of people say, well, it's bad to acknowledge these issues. No, no. It's bad to pretend that you don't have issues if you have them. So it's actually a sign of strength and health 
that this individual would acknowledge that they have this and they are now going to, to fix it. Imagine if I am not doing good on my left-handed layup. I have to admit I am struggling with my left-handed layup in order for me now to actually address it. So without insight, there is no behavioral change. I would be complimentary. I would be speaking the praises. I would be talking about how this individual is actually bringing a very important topic to light. So I appreciate you asking me as the beat writer how I would actually address it. You're hired. <laughs> That's the test. Thank you. <laughs> so shifting gears again, Mr. Beat Writer for the Chicago Bulls, I want to lower our age a little bit. I'm not going to lower your age, but just the topic of discussion here. <laughs> High-level athletes are getting so young. I have a friend of mine who has been working as a MLB scout the last few years, traveling around some different places. Now he's based in the Dominican. He texted me the, the other day and he said, hey, I'm scouting this kid who was born in 2011. That makes him 12 years old. He's being scouted by my bud who works for an MLB organization. 11, I mean, 12 years old? You've worked with junior athletes. All these questions concerns. Are they the same for children? Do you adjust your messaging? How do you do? Mm. Yeah, uh, it's definitely an adjustment. Uh, children are just not little adults. They actually developmentally have got a number of issues that they're working through that adults supposedly have already dealt with, but many of them have not. Uh, you have to make sure that you're speaking the language of the individual that you're talking to. So whether someone is an adult or a child, how bright they are, how well they can process information. If they're young, we want to also be able to speak their language. And that isn't that easy for a lot of people. They will speak to children as though they are little adults. And the child to get approval will just kind of agree without truly understanding, which is one of the reasons why I always like to ask the kids to say like, you know, hey, what do you get from what I was just saying? So I want them to say in their own words so I can understand what they understand. I learned a long time ago, just because words come out of my mouth doesn't make the communication complete. It's just as the sender sends it, it's do I make sure the receiver understands it, processes it, appreciates it. So a lot of young kids, the earlier I can get them to understand the messages I'm sharing, which are encompassing a lot of the prevention work, are very helpful for them. Um you're bringing up an interesting question of, is that too young to be recruiting people? I think that might be what you might be saying. Um, some of the kids, unfortunately, are put in a position where they have a lot of responsibility at a very young age. And for them, developmentally, are they able to handle it? Just like if you have a child who's bright in school, it's not just a reason to promote them. If they're not developmentally, socially able to handle the promotion, this could be actually rather deleterious to them. It's almost like a boomerang effect. And so some of the young elite athletes don't have the resilience, the emotional fortitude, the mental toughness to weather the storm of the ebb and flow of their ability or the negative press that they may receive for not performing up to expectations. And so we see these young athletes burn out very fast. So at a young age, helping athletes have life balance, helping athletes be able to manage their own kind of sense of self, 
set long-term goals, short-term steps, resiliency, uh, assertiveness training for them, the ability to not personalize other people's. All of these developmentally are important for a child. And many of them, if they don't get that, we can find that they burn out, they become overwhelmed, and they may never achieve their true potential. And so I, I feel for those young adults, if all they're doing is being myopically funneled through, through this sports identity, we know from the research, the more of a percentage of my identity is tied to one thing, the more likely I will actually be depressed and anxious at the end of that. So if you have someone who is forced down that path at a young age and they have no other direction, they are adrift in life. What a horrible thing to do. I work with uh, D1 athletes and we talk about life after sport. I work with military and we talk about life after service. We have to help young adults to be able to have balance in life, especially just by virtue of if we know one out of 100 college athletes are going pro. Well, that means 99 out of 100 need to have a different identity and at least shared a balance. So I appreciate what you're saying. I, I find 12 years old in a lot of areas can be kind of a long-term bet on following this individual that they're trying to recruit to be able to pull into the system. Um, depending on the sport, that could be really dangerous. I have way too many college baseball players, pitchers, who are getting Tommy John surgery in high school. And when you're talking about massive injuries early in life, you're now increasing the probability of failure. So we can see myopic focus on just athletics and over-repetitive use on muscle movement at young ages. And so we as a society need to, and in sports world, just need to be vigilant of that. It's so interesting to think of it like that. The concept of the earlier you maybe get recruited, the earlier you take your craft so seriously, mm -hmm. the more it consumes you, the, mm -hmm. the fewer other interests you might have, right? If I'm a baseball player and I'm being recruited as an eight-year-old, well, that means I got to take it seriously. I, and maybe my parents won't let me explore my interest of history or scuba diving because it's... Mm -hmm dangerous for my arm you know whatever it is yeah. you need to have other interests and we mm -hmm. think back to um i think about like hollywood right Ch how many child stars actors have burned out drugs yep. alcohol broke all that by by the time they're 25 right and that's because the nature of acting means you can start it as like a three-year-old right mm -hmm. so if quasi-professional sport is going to start at age 12, well, then we have to rejigger our minds a little bit, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are working with a person. Person happens to be athletic. Um, one of the serious drawbacks, and we see this from either really bright kids in school or physically more gifted athletes at a young age, and that is the bright student may never have to truly apply themselves and does well. They get accolades, praise, and they know that they really haven't ever really applied themselves. Some of them will say, I never even studied. I mean, I just, I do well. And they think everybody else is just kind of like, what's their problem that they can't understand this? 
So these individuals, as they are intellectually gifted, never have to deal with the challenges that all the others have to. And so when they start moving higher into, let's say, international baccalaureate programs, and you know, if they get into AP or honors and they go on to college, they may never have learned how to study. They may never, they ne didn't have the expectations or the demands or the competition. And so they may fall prey to being overwhelmed by these struggles. Same with the elite athlete at a young age. They may have been more gifted than their peers. And so they achieved all this greatness without ever having to deal with the plateaus or the challenges or the time periods of a struggle. And so suddenly their peer group physically catches up to them. Their skill levels catch up to them at these more elite levels. And these athletes may not have developed the diligence, the persistence, the resilience to handle those types of challenges. And again, that's where we as sports psychologists have to come help empower these younger athletes to be able to weather the storm setbacks help mm -hmm. you weather those storms and turn you into a champion mm -hmm. you know about champions your book is called the champions mindset yes I get two of the greatest of all time maybe the best female athlete and the best male athlete of all time depending on who you ask serena williams mm -hmm. michael jordan mm -hmm. serena williams would get beat up by her older sister venus <laughs> Sister yes. Venus was bigger, stronger, faster, smarter, more developed. Mm -hmm. She won most of the time, and she was more in the limelight early on. And that struggle, fighting through that, built Serena into maybe the greatest female athlete ever. Michael Jordan, he'd get his butt kicked by his older brother, so <laughs> much so that even in the heyday of the Wolves championships, and he was already a five-time champ at this point, the athletic trainer would be like, oh, yeah, he's got his brother on his mind. He, he's he's trying to beat his brother mentally, but really mm -hmm. would be stocked in him alone. Right. So and he did. He became the greatest. Out of learning how to deal with setbacks. So Absolutely. How to deal with setbacks. Yeah. As a matter of fact, your greatest lessons in life are from your failures. If If everything comes easy, you never have to get out of your comfort zone. You never develop any new tools. The amazing reality, and we always talk about this, this idea, give your best, prepare, be in the proper mindset. If you do your best, does that guarantee the outcome? And the answer is no, it doesn't guarantee anything. If you play in a, well, if I play in a solo sport, I'm a tennis player, I can get just the best service day of my life and still lose. I can play on a team and I can play my best and we could play our best and still lose. So I have to be able to put in my best effort. Derek Jeter talks about how, well, there certainly might be athletes with more natural talent, but no one should outwork you. And Michael Jordan talks about, you know, I had 3,000 attempts, you know, that my teammates wanted, you know, and yet, you know, I made only this many of them. Individuals understand that not achieving is a part of achieving learning from my failures. What can I do different? Never leaving kind of the, the question of, is there something more I can do? At this moment, and this is important, at this moment, have I done everything I could? I hope I know I have, because I can't lie to myself. Is there room for improvement? Absolutely. And that's what I will do moving forward. But at this moment, I have to have confidence that I know I have given it my all. If I, what's the comment? Um, if I take shortcuts 
to my goals, I cut short my goals. I can't lie to myself. I can lie to the world and say whatever I want. But if I haven't done everything, there's a voice inside that is pointing out to me, nah, I didn't really do it. I didn't give it my all. I phoned it in or something like that. So knowing confidence comes from within that I have given it my all. And I understand what my abilities are. And being able to have that mentality. So for Serena, it took years of realizing there was someone above me. And if I really wanted to be the champion, I have to learn from this individual in order to supersede them. Michael Jordan, he did great at North Carolina, but being the greatest of all time, I don't think people were going to say that. He ended up having to fight against the Detroit Pistons year after year. He was the leading scorer, and they couldn't get past the bad boys. And so he realized he had to help the entire team get better around him, which is also what champions do. It's not just about them. They realize in order for a team sport, a rising tide lifts all boat, and that's his role of being the greatest. If only all of us had Bill Lambeer to just sock us in the face, <laughs> we would turn into the greatest of all time at our profession. I think if we stop about it metaphorically, we probably have all had something that has hit us, interfered with us, created a barrier, but we, how do we actually work through it? We've had Bill Lambeer sock us in the face. Now I'm just thinking about me in the press box at a Chicago Dogs game. You know, we're live on the air and Bill Lambeer just. <laughs> I, had, I had heard somebody saying, well, what can we do to make sports more interesting? And I was mentioning, well, if golf was full contact, so if someone lines up for a putt and a middle linebacker is just off the green and you give them a couple of seconds before they're allowed to rush, that would that would change it up quite a quite a bit. You talk about a pitch clock in baseball. How about if the pitch clock was actually a linebacker running full steam ahead? And when the clock strikes zero, it's it's nightmare time. I would watch that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <let's> broadcast that. <laughs> Dr. Shinsky, I want to leave with this because yeah. you know, this podcast, I really want to use it to push the needle, to push the conversation, to move forward. Mm -hmm. We can, As you know, we can only spend so much time on the past, wishing away the past. So looking forward to the future, what do you see as the next step in advancing the mental health discussion in sports? And what I mean by that isn't so general. It's really that I think the first step was having some big athletes admit to their mental health issues. The next step was teams embracing that hiring staff. The next step was the media getting on board, covering it responsibly for the most part. What is the next step for us, for all of us? I would rather take a much more proactive stance. So being able to talk about this at a younger level, provide resources at a younger level, help empowering young adults. So a lot of the kiddos that I've worked with over the years, we work with not only their parents, their coaches, the schools, and we'll set up programs to help facilitate their emotional strength, to help them understand. We always talk about feelings identification first. If I don't know how I emotionally experience the world, I'm more likely to become overwhelmed by it. And I acted out through behavior or acted in through depression and anxiety. If I do understand how I emotionally experience the world, well, then we go to communication skills. 
Because if I don't know how to release it, vent it, talk to other people, relate to others, I'm more likely to be overwhelmed by my emotions. And therefore, I acted out through behavior or acted in through anxiety or depression. So from a preventive point of view, I think having athletes be able to facilitate and lead these, I think coming forward and talking about it, I think that is probably the next step in our society and with athletes to be able to say, this is normal. It's an equal opportunity for all ages, genders, specialties. And if we take a proactive point of view rather than a reactive, I would see that as a really beneficial, very healthy way where people don't have to suffer with emotional issues, struggle in school, interpersonal conflicts. I don't want people to suffer. I want people to thrive. Being proactive, not reactive. Yes. I take the most. And that's something that can help a lot of people and a lot of industries and a lot of modes of life. So if I, if you, the listeners, take anything from Dr. Shinitsky, it's golf should be a full contact sport and <laughs> be proactive and not reactive. Dr. Shinitsky, you are absolutely the best. I always enjoy our conversations. I'm already counting down the days for part four. Sam, I look forward to it anytime, my man. Thank you so much. That is the great Dr. Shinitsky, author of The Champion's Mindset, distinguished Florida-based sports psychologist. Talk next time. You got it. Thank you. Sam, back here in the studio. What a great chat with Dr. Shinitsky. It's like chicken soup for the soul, speaking with that man. Gotta love it. Third time, wonderful. Thanks to Dr. Shinitsky for joining, and thanks to you for listening. I really do like the golf full contact sport and maybe the pitch clock baseball with the linebacker idea. But even more than that, he's so well spoken on the media, how they can and maybe should cover mental health. And I should say we because I'm part of the media. So I own up to that and I'll hope to be at the forefront of that change. Remember, you can support me and Lasers Ladybug Society running the half marathon in a couple months. Link in the bio, the GoFundMe for 13.1 miles for Lasers Ladybug Society. Also in the bio, you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Now, of course, on YouTube. I've been Sam Brief. This is the Mental Game Podcast. We will be back in a few weeks with another fresh, exciting episode. Until then, make sure you take care of yourself and others, and I will talk to you next time from Chicago. <laughs>